Hello, and thank you for listening to the Mathematics Teacher Educator Journal podcast. The Mathematics Teacher Educator Journal is co-sponsored by the Association of Mathematics Teacher Educators and the National Council of Teachers of Mathematics. My name is Eva Thanheiser, and I'm talking with Ziv Feldman, who is a Clinical Associate Professor of Mathematics Education at the Wheelock College of Education and Human Development at Boston University. We will be discussing Ziv's article, Encouraging Teachers to Make Use of Multiplicative Structure, published in the September 2018 issue of the Mathematics Teacher Educator Journal. We will begin by summarizing the main points of the article and discuss in more depth the lessons he shared in the article, his successes and challenges, and how these lessons relate to his other work. Ziv, thank you for joining us. Can you give us a brief summary of the article, including the results? Sure. So the article, and this article was written with uh, Matt Roscoe from the University of Montana and myself. The article is really about a small study we did where we looked at uh, 69 prospective elementary school teachers across two math content courses at our respective universities. We looked to try to identify what is their understanding of prime factorization, specifically their ability to use prime factorization as a tool for identifying uh, divisibility namely factors. So we had an intervention that we implemented in our courses. We saw the intervention consisted of three lessons and two homework assignments. We did a pre and post test. And what we found before the intervention was that by and large, the prospective teachers in our study kind of exhibited very clear kind of procedural attachments to their work around divisibility. In other words, they were not able to use prime factorization to determine divisibility. They reverted back to long division and trial and error type of methods, whereas following the intervention, they were uh, better able to use prime factorization not only to identify factors of numbers, but also to generate factors of numbers. So if I give you the prime factorization of a number, can you list out what its factors are? Can you list out not only the prime factors, but also any composite factors? So our study found that they were better able to not only do that, but also explain why, how they were using prime factorization, why that made sense. So why do we care about this? Well, I can tell you why I care about this. The reason why I think this is important is because of the focus on multiplicative structure. You know, we oftentimes in our content courses, we, we spend a lot of time talking about additive structures. When we talk about addition and subtraction, we, we decompose numbers additively in a variety of different ways in order to support computational strategies. To a lesser extent, we, we look at multiplicative structure and trying to identify, okay, how do we decompose in order to support our prospective teachers' understanding of a variety of different strategies? This study, I think, provides more evidence that not only can pre-service teachers do this work, but also that it is important because it gives them an opportunity to make sense of a bunch of different ideas uh, around multiplicative structure, namely commutative and associative properties, which they can leverage to make sense of additional topics that they might see down the road. Okay. Who should read this article? I think this article might be relevant to a variety of people, primarily math teacher educators, those who are charged with the preparation of prospective elementary school teachers, I think would find it most useful because the study provides curriculum materials that they could use in their own courses to support pre-service teachers understanding a multiplicative structure. But also anyone who is interested in better understanding how prospective elementary teachers develop 
knowledge of multiplicative structure. So those of us who do some research around how do prospective teachers learn mathematics, or do they tend to understand, what do they tend to find challenging? I think this study might be relevant for them as well. Okay, we talked a little bit about the why, but let's kind of talk about it again. What is the important problem or issue that your article addresses? I think one, I don't know if it's an issue, but, but one thing that we see oftentimes in the literature on prospective teachers' mathematical knowledge is example after example of what pre-service teachers cannot do from a mathematical perspective. We oftentimes read a lot of research around misconceptions that they have, uh, challenges that they have. And, and granted, this study was based on a lot of the, the research that, that we read in order to prepare for this study was just that, that pre-service teachers have all these mathematical misconceptions. They have kind of these procedural attachments or leanings. They struggle to think kind of conceptually about big ideas. And so I think the study provides an example of kind of the opposite, that, that actually prospective teachers can actually do pretty robust mathematics and they can learn with understanding. And, and I think this article gives an example of just how that happens. So when I was reading your article, there is a strong focus on procedural fluency. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of curious how that connects to conceptual understanding or whether that connects at all to conceptual understanding. Procedural fluency, you know, we, in the article, kind of, we go by the definition that's provided by the National Research Council and they're adding it up book. And so we kind of see the work in this study kind of firmly within kind of the procedural fluency umbrella, which is, can you can you execute a procedure, and not just rotely, but in a way where you understand what it is you're doing and why what you're doing makes sense? So I'm not exactly sure that we can say from the study that they've developed you know, a deep conceptual understanding, but we certainly can say that based on the results that we found, the prospective teachers in the study are able to use prime factorization and they're able to better understand the ways in which they're able to use prime factorization, why those ways make sense. And then one thing that we found, and maybe this kind of gets us a little bit closer to conceptual understanding, is that through this study, we noticed that some folks in our sample were starting to reconceptualize or rethink their own definitions of what it means to be a factor of a number. So whereas previously, many of them would articulate a definition that's kind of this classic, a factor of a number is a number that divides some other number or a number that if I multiply it by some whole number, I'll get kind of the number in question. They started through the intervention, they started thinking about a factor kind of more generally as some multiplicative combination of prime numbers. And so if I have, for example, you know, the number 12, if I look at its prime factorization, you know, two times two times three, I can start to take multiplicative combinations of those prime factors to generate all the factors of the number 12. So for example, two, two times two, two times three, et cetera. And so once they started kind of rethinking their own definition of what it means to be a factor of a number, we started thinking, oh, we, we might have something here, although we would need to do more research to figure out exactly how deep that new knowledge goes. But, but we can definitely say that from a procedural standpoint, they not only were able to execute this procedure using prime factorization much better than they were before. In fact, before they weren't able to do it at all, but also they were able to articulate why using prime factorization actually allows you to find the factors of the number. And so we thought that that kind of procedural understanding 
was really highlighted in the study. I really liked your nod to the notion of the DNA of a number. Was that your idea or? No, I can't take credit for that. That was uh, some of my prospective teachers over the years came up with that kind of metaphor. I really like that. That's helpful. So how does this article build on other work you've done? This article and this study actually came out of an NSF grant that I'm a co-PI on called the Elementary Mathematics Project, which has been kind of a multi-year project. The PI for that is Dr. Suzanne Chapin, who's a colleague of mine at Boston University. And that project really was a curriculum development project where what we were doing is we were developing uh, mathematical units, curricular units for use in these prospective elementary teacher content courses. And one of the units that we developed was a unit on number theory. So we had, you know, each unit has about six to 10 lessons. This particular unit on number theory had about six or seven lessons that focused on kind of deconstructing multiplicative structure and, and trying to identify, okay, how do we determine a number's divisibility? And by leveraging the structure of a number, how do we look at greatest common factors, least common multiples? divisibility rules that we kind of all remember from our own kind of classroom experience, but maybe haven't thought exactly about how to justify those divisibility rules. So that all came from that elementary mathematics project. This study took some of those lessons, uh, those lessons that we developed as kind of a starting point and revised them in order to kind of identify what are some of the key mathematical ideas that we want prospective teachers to grapple with just around determining divisibility, just around this notion of multiplicative structure. While the elementary math project materials also addressed this topic, they were much more elaborate. So there were more lessons, each lesson was longer. We felt that we wanted to give uh, math teacher educators kind of a, a more uh, digestible version of that because we recognized that our syllabi and our content courses are already jam-packed as it is. And so we wanted to give them just kind of the, the maximum amount of uh, lessons that we thought were important so that they could actually have the time to use them. So this actually leads really nicely into my next question, where I would like you to explain a little bit more about the innovations or the lessons and how they address this problem of practice. So we had three lessons and two homework assignments. I'll talk about the lessons. They're a little bit more interesting. Essentially, what we tried to do is we tried to provide prospective teachers with kind of an image for what you know, prime factorization is all about and how can we determine divisibility, you know, not using kind of the traditional approaches of just kind of trial and error, let's just do long division. And so the first lesson really focuses in on, okay, what do we mean by prime factorization? We start by having prospective teachers uh, draw factor trees, which many do remember from their prior kind of elementary and middle school experiences. We start to think about, okay, well, based on these factor trees, what can we say about the prime factorization of a number, specifically about its, its uniqueness? So we explore both a number's prime factorization, but also a number's factorization, which it has could have many different factorizations. And so we get to this kind of really important foundational idea in, in number theory, which is the fundamental theorem of arithmetic. And that's really talking about how the prime factorization of a number is unique with the exception of kind of the order of the factors. And so we spent a lot of time in lesson one talking about prime factorization, talking about the uniqueness of a number's prime factorization. 
And that's where some of that, those metaphors around, you know, prime factorization as a numbers DNA, that's where that comes in. So they st start to really get a sense of kind of prime numbers as the, the major building blocks of our number system. And then, uh, you know, lesson two is really, so lesson one's kind of this foundational piece around, let's develop this big idea around uniqueness of prime factorization. Lesson two is where we kind of get into the nitty gritty around, all right, so how do I use this notion of this prime factor representation to actually determine divisibility? And so, you know, the previous, the first homework assignment of this intervention has them use an array of one to a hundred, a 10 by 10 array. So essentially they have the first hundred numbers in this rectangular array and what they're to do for homework is they're supposed to essentially find the uh, prime factorization of the first hundred counting numbers and kind of draw them into the array. And then they bring that into lesson two and then they use that in order to determine the factors of a variety of different numbers. Okay, and so they work in groups to do this. They're, each group is assigned a number. They're using their, their array or their grid from the, the first homework to kind of highlight using different colors, what are the factors of this number. We put everything up on the board, they create a table, and then from that, they're able to start to generalize or, or draw some conclusions around, okay, well, if I give you the prime factorization of a number, how can I use that to determine its factors? In other words, what seems to be common to all of the factors of a number when you look at them in their prime factored forms? And so folks start to realize, oh, well, if I look at the prime factorization of a number, and then I look at the prime factorization of its factors, they all share prime numbers. And so they start to make that, to realize that by looking at their array, their visual array. And there's been some research in the past that talked about kind of having visual representations as cues for developing kind of a deeper understanding of kind of underlying structure. And so we try to leverage that research in developing this array and, and specifically how we implement it into the lesson. So lesson two kind of goes into that. Lesson three then culminates with a kind of an activity where they try to generalize their experience from lesson two. And they specifically talk about, you know, how can we use prime factorization to determine how many factors a number has? So not necessarily what the factors are. They've already done that. Now how many are there? And so they generate some data. They start out by listing out several examples of numbers that have two factors, three factors, four factors, they go all the way up to six. And then they examine all of those numbers in prime factored form. And from there, they attempt to generalize this idea that, oh, if I, if I look in a number's prime factored form, I can very easily determine how many factors it has by looking at the exponents, you know, add one to each exponent and then multiply those sums together. And I'll figure out how many factors I have. And so that's kind of an exercise in using what we've done around prime factorization and generalizing that, collecting data, making conjectures, refining conjectures, and then generalizing to all cases. My favorite activity. I really liked how you started off the first lesson with just having them take the same number and create different prime factorizations. I mean, yeah. different, different ordered prime factorizations. Okay, so... Thanks for this awesome description of the lessons. Now, how did you study whether they worked? So what we did is we created a, an assessment. We created a, a pretest and, and then a corresponding post-test. Uh, we administered the pretest immediately before the intervention, so about a week before we started these three lessons and two homework assignments. And then we gave the post-test uh, about up to a week after. And... Uh, 
based on those, and then we analyzed the results of those. Essentially, what we did is both Matt and I, as co-authors, we've looked at all the data, we created a scoring rubric, we each, uh, in order to develop into rate of reliability, we kind of took a, a subsample of the, of the data, we scored a common subsample independently, came back together, we had, you know, I think we reached about something like 82, 83% agreement, and then any discrepancies, we kind of would spend a lot of time kind of talking to each other about, okay, well, how did you interpret the rubric? How did you interpret the rubric? And then eventually got to 100% agreement. And once we got to 100% agreement, then we split off and um, essentially scored and coded the rest of the, um, the sample. And summarize briefly the findings of that analysis. Yeah, sure. So essentially there were you know, in the article, there's kind of this overarching question around, you know, what's the impact of the intervention on pre-service teachers' kind of procedural knowledge as it relates to factors and prime factorization. So the overall data kind of showed that overwhelmingly their ability to use prime factorization to determine divisibility improved significantly. It was overwhelming. But the really interesting part isn't really, we kind of assumed that that would happen typically you have an intervention in your class, you collect data before and after, you're going to see positive results. It's the nature of the change that we thought was compelling. And so kind of one of the questions we were, one of the specific questions we were asking is, can pre-service teachers in the sample, can they use a numbers prime factorization to identify a variety of different types of numbers? So can they use them to successfully identify prime factors, prime non-factors, composite factors, composite non-factors? And we found that they, were, they improved in their ability to do all of those. But one thing that was really interesting is that in this, the results that we found really mirrored what prior research uh, has also shown. When I talk about prior research in this space, I'm talking about primarily the work of Rena Zaskis in the 90s, where she looked at prospective elementary teachers' knowledge of prime factorization. And she found that you know, they had a much better had much stronger procedural knowledge of using prime factorization to identify prime factors, but not really as easy of a time identifying composite factors. And similarly, it was much easier for pre-service teachers to identify factors than non-factors. And what our results showed is that this actually held true on the pre-test, is that exactly the same thing happened. However, on the post-test, our entire sample improved significantly. And so it got to the point where their ability based on the data to identify both prime factors and prime non-factors was almost indistinguishable, which means something was going on that impacted their ability to identify both divisibility and indivisibility. And prior research kind of talks about indivisibility is, is kind of a challenge for prospective teachers. And likewise, also composite factors and composite non-factors, they all improved in that as well. So that was really great. The other question that we really wanted to know is, did the intervention really improve their ability to use prime factorization to generate their own list of factors? So instead of just identifying, you know, if I give you a number, you tell me if it's a factor or not. In this situation now, it's I give you a prime factorization and you have to generate the list of factors yourself. And we saw that they improved significantly there as well. And the way we did this is we asked them two types of questions. The first type of question we asked them, you know, find me the factors of a number, and we gave them the number in kind of decimal form. So I think the number we used, it was, I think, 225 or 300, and we wrote it in decimal form. And then the second part, we asked them the same question, 
but we then gave them a different number in prime factored form. And what we found before the intervention is that they were much more successful at finding the factors when the number was represented in decimal form. Still wasn't great, but it was almost, uh, well, I wouldn't say almost twice as successful, but it was much more successful. And then on the post-test, they improved significantly regardless of the numerical representation, but to the point where the success rate was almost indistinguishable. It was around 70% for both of them. So still work to be done, but something happened during this intervention where their ability to use either decimal form or prime factored form was essentially the same. And that's not what prior research tells us. It tells us that you know, we're much more comfortable with looking at a whole number of forms. We can use long division very, very successfully. In this case, prime factored form seemed to be just as, I shouldn't say just as easy, but the data tells us that they had as much success at it as with decimal form. So that was kind of the second finding. And then the third finding that I found kind of most interesting is we asked them to, we gave them some properties of numbers. Specifically, we told them, hey, find me a number that has these factors. And they were, so essentially they were reversing the procedures that they were doing before. Instead of me giving them the number and asking them to find the factors, we gave them the factors and said, hey, tell me what number has these factors. And that's much more challenging because they're actually essentially reversing the procedure that they've been accustomed to. And we found that that was, before the intervention, extremely challenging for our prospective teachers. In fact, uh, there was not a single participant in the entire sample that was able to both correctly find the answer and also explain and justify their thinking. And in fact, only I think about 15 or 16% of the sample could find the, the correct answer. On the post-test, we found that this changed dramatically. And I think uh, what ended up happening is I think roughly three quarters of the sample on the post-test found the correct answer. They were able to reverse this procedure. And then about half of the sample uh, were able to also provide kind of what we called complete or nearly complete reasoning. And so what was going on is in this finding, we saw they were able to really start coordinating prime factors together. So when you look at a numbers prime factorization, you can identify composite factors by taking multiple primes and essentially combining them together. And on this problem, we saw that that, was, that had to happen. They had to do that. And so in order to be successful, we saw that that was happening a lot more readily than before the intervention. So overall, the improvement was significant across the board, but it's kind of the nature of the improvement that we really found compelling. So it sounds like that the well-connectedness really came out in the post-test. It seems like it, you know, and there's, I think there's still more work to be done to really kind of unpack, okay, how, what was the nature of their thinking around this third problem? specifically. But in all the written work that we analyzed, we found that about half of the sample was able to really articulate not only how they solved this problem, how they were able to connect and coordinate these prime factors together, but also why that made sense. So the justification piece made sense. You know, they, they would say things like, I was able to find, you know, the answer by combining these prime factors because I know that the factors of a number are multiplicative combinations of its prime factors. And so they're able to relate it back to this kind of bigger idea around what it means to be a factor. And so we found that to be really encouraging and really exciting because, you know, as we know, a lot of the research around prospective teacher knowledge 
highlights their misconceptions and the challenges they face. And we found, oh, this is a situation where now we have this intervention that based on the data is supporting them to kind of develop this richer knowledge. So that kind of leads into the next question. What new contribution to our field of math teacher educators does your article make? And I think you just summarized some of that. But I'll Yeah, I can kind of restate it in a slightly different way. I think they're kind of two primary things. One is we're providing curriculum materials that math teacher educators can use in their courses. By no means are the three lessons and two homework assignments comprehensive, but I think it's a good start. And I think the data tells us it's a good start. But the other thing is, I think the contribution is around, you know, teacher knowledge, specifically prospective teacher knowledge, around how do we develop an understanding for how future teachers make sense of the mathematics. And you, you know, as well as anyone, that there's a lot of research out there around that. And I think we're contributing to the field around multiplicative structure because there's not a lot of research out there that I know of, aside from the work that Rina Zaskis has done, that really unpacks what do pre-service teachers know about prime numbers, about prime factorization, about the visibility, and about how those three topics are connected to one another. So I think this study gets us started on that road and, um, and then tells us that, hey, pre-service teachers can do really really good mathematical work. They, you know, they can shed misconceptions if they're provided opportunities to do so. And, and we think based on this study that having them look at particular representations like prime factorization, and, and in this instance, kind of almost forcing them to, you know, not necessarily abandon whole number representations, but to kind of put them aside for a minute and think about a different way of looking at number can be really beneficial and it kind of forces them into this state of uncertainty, we think, that can be productive. If you imagine that other people use the lessons that you attached to your article, which I definitely plan on doing, how do you see other people using the lessons and what would you like to hear back from people who are using your lessons? I'm under no illusion that different people will, who use these lessons will use them differently. And I think that's perfectly fine. The lessons aren't meant to be prescriptive. I would like to hear that folks are using the 1 to 100 grid. We found, and we haven't really collected data yet on the use of the grid per se, but you know, just anecdotally, we felt that when you're in the classroom working with prospective teachers and they're using this grid and they're shading in, the different squares that represent the factors of whatever number they're exploring, that they can refer back to that grid that help them kind of make sense of and help them identify, okay, what do the prime factorizations of the factors of a number and the number itself have in common? We thought that was really useful. So we hope that folks would consider using the array or the grid, but really what I would love to hear is feedback from, from other math teacher educators who choose to use this. You know, we're always looking to, revise and modify tasks to, to make them more effective and, and more relevant for our students. And so we'd love to hear feedback from people. You know, I know different people will, will use these in different ways. And so I guarantee you there are different approaches that we haven't thought about. We'd love to hear from folks. That's fantastic. So now that people have heard your podcast and read your article and they're very excited about the work, what's your suggestion? Honestly, I, I think that one suggestion, maybe it's not as much a suggestion as it is a hope, is that folks who are kind of charged with the preparation of prospective teachers will look at materials like these or design materials like these 
in order to provide their prospective teachers with more opportunities to kind of grapple with mathematical ideas and to, to give them time to actually kind of think through these challenging topics. I know that, you know, we have, you know, I think all of us, you know, we, we create our syllabi for these content courses and we, we pack them with all sorts of content that we know our prospective teachers need to know. And sometimes what might get lost in the shuffle is kind of giving our students the time to kind of work together, to share ideas, to test their conjectures, revise them. That all takes time. And then to then share their ideas out as a class and doing a, you know, running a classroom discussion with a room of 20 to 30 students is challenging work. It takes a lot of time, but I would hope that we as a, as a community math teacher educators, I know many of us do this already. I think that's critical. If we want to engage our prospective teachers in these kinds of activities, we need to make the time to do that. And so sometimes that means maybe eliminating some topics from, from your syllabus, which I know is, we're almost not supposed to say that out loud, but I <laughs> yes. think that, that that's something that I would hope people would, would consider doing. And I know that many people already do. I really enjoyed the examples you gave in the paper, and I find those helpful when I imagine teaching these lessons. So oh, I plan course. on doing it, and I'll plan on letting you know whether they worked or not. Fantastic. Okay. I, I look forward to your feedback. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you for joining us, and goodbye. Yeah.